Bienvenido, bienvenue, and welcome to Samaritan Conversations. account of an event over 2,000 years ago, there's a story of a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho who was attacked by bandits. The priest saw the attack person and opted to pass the other way. A Levite, a religious leader, also opted to pass the other way. Then, according to Luke's version, a certain Samaritan, someone outside of the religious establishment who was marginalized, stopped and helped. Samaritan Conversations is a podcast focused on community and business leaders who live as that certain Samaritan, that good Samaritan. Welcome to the show today, Sam Devine. Please uh, let us know a little bit about yourself and we'll discuss how that intertwines into living as this certain Samaritan. Well, thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure to join you guys again. Um, so I am Sam Devine and I, uh, What's interesting about me? I grew up in in West Africa uh, for a good part of my life in a country called Liberia, which was uh, founded by freed slaves from the U.S. that uh, went back to Africa in search of, um, you know, a new land, if you will. And uh, so that's a little bit of my background. I came. I lived in the U.S. at least twice as a kid, um, from about three to four, uh, just before my fifth birthday, in, in uh, Platteville, Wisconsin, um, <laughs> of all places. So I guess I'm a cheesehead to some degree. And then lived in uh, Boston, uh, or outside of Boston at some point in my um, teens for a little bit before going back to Liberia. So that's kind of my my short story and uh, came back to the U.S. in the Boston area for college. So that's kind of the full circle. I recently, interestingly, thinking about the Liberia free slaves link, I've been recently looking up uh, some of the, because I'm, I'm partially def descended from uh, the freed slaves that left here and uh, also the locals that they met in Liberia. And so I finally uh, started to look up my great-great-grandparents who were freed slaves and have been able to trace at least a few of them to the, to the ships that they boarded to go to Liberia in the 1800s. So. Okay, good. Um, that leads me to, does that give you um, any different of a perspective on helping others in need coming from another country here to the U.S., or is there no difference? Ooh, that's a that's a that's a tough one at the start, man. Um, so I think it I think it definitely gives a different perspective because you kind of understand the need that's out there, and you in some cases you appreciate um, what you have and the gifts and the opportunities a little bit more. Um, 
you know, I think I've been here now, you know, since college. So sometimes you, it's easier to forget that. But I, I certainly recall when I was in college, I was um, very, very, very aware of the fact that I was really blessed to be here in college, um, especially at the time when there was a, a civil war going on um, in Liberia, or at least there were skirmishes at the time. And, you know, so there were people who were smarter than me who couldn't you know, whose uh, education got interrupted. And so it was very, very, um, you know, top of mind at that time that, man, I've got this opportunity. I got to get this done. I got to get this done. And, um, um, you know, I basically ran through college, quite frankly, <laughs> to get out because I recognized that I had that opportunity that so many others didn't. Okay. And another angle that I want to look at is, um, you live in Wisconsin and then uh, <laughs> big city. Um, is it more prevalent in smaller population that you see more of this Good Samaritan versus the large city? Ooh, um, I think you can see it in, in every place. I think there's some, there are Good Samaritans everywhere. Um, I do think you probably see, that's an interesting question. I, I think the, the, the cultures in, the diff, in different cities can be so different that you might see less in those cities. But it doesn't mean that it's just a small city versus a, a, a smaller community, right? I think, you know, so I'll give you a perfect example. Um, you know, if you, having lived in Boston, if you had, in Boston, if someone, you know, maybe was hurting, you would just kind of, if you play the stereotypical, right? In Atlanta, everybody's interested in you. I had people in the elevator speak to me in Atlanta when I first came to visit. And because I had lived up north in Boston for some time, you don't speak to anybody in the elevator. So I, the first time I came to Atlanta and had someone speak to me in the elevator, I was like, what? Uh, and so I think if I were to, you know, try to, to play back, I think Atlanta probably would have, even though it's a big city, just as big, you know, or at least large as Boston, I think Atlanta has had more um, Good Samaritan experiences just because of the culture in Atlanta versus uh, the culture in um, other parts of the country where you don't speak to someone on the street, right? I remember walking down Peachtree when I came to Atlanta the first time and people would, you know, nod at me or speak to me who didn't know me and who I would never run into again. And that was one of the things that made an impression on me and made me decide to move to Atlanta because um, after about, what, close to six years up north, um, just being on Peachtree Street and having people speak to me made me go, man, this is how it used to be where I grew up. Because you think about Liberia, there's a lot of Southern freed slaves that moved there. So the, you know, you if you were in on Broad Street in Monrovia and someone didn't know you, you still could get someone saying hi to you. And, you know, the moment I kind of shook off my cultural Northeastern, you know, why are you speaking to me? What do you want? Are you trying to rob me? You know, are you weird? Get away from me. <laughs> the moment I shook that off, it kind of just dawned on me like, ding, ding, ding. This is, 
you know, more like what it was to grow up at home. And so that's part of why I decided to move to Atlanta. Yeah, and that leads right into, oh, go ahead, Jason. Uh, Wisconsin, is that a, uh, forgive me, I'm, I'm, I don't know Midwestern states very well. Is that, a, is that a very diverse city? Is it not a very diverse city? Well, so uh, the part of Wisconsin that I was in, I think would be considered rural. Now, granted, I was there, you know, three to almost five, right? Because I, so I don't remember a ton of it. Oh, okay. I did, I did recently get my mom to give me the uh, address <laughs> to the house that we lived in. And I, I remembered sort of the, you know, cul-de-sac and, you know, so I could kind of, the house had been painted, so it wasn't the same color, but I could remember that. But that community was more rural, if you will. It was, um, you know, my parents were there at a, a at the University of Wisconsin, Platteville, which is more like an agricultural school. Um, and so there was more farmland and, and other things like that. And um, so that I, I, and it's, it's sort of interesting because we, the only things I remember from there are sort of the church that we went to and, um, you know, the house and, um, you know, a, a few of the other immigrants that were you know, from Africa and studying at the school. Um, okay. So that was, that was it. But I am, interestingly, we are in touch. Our family got back in touch with the pastor of that church who's since retired and his kids, because we were all friends. He had kids are about the same age. And so we were all friends. And so we've sort of rekindled some of that uh, friendship, at least on Facebook. So it's kind so of a small world. Rural so when you say rural, you mean that area was more like your culture, um, African-American well, or African no, coming from West Africa, or it was a very white neighborhood or what do you mean? It, it was probably more, it, yeah, it was rural in the sense of non-urban uh, okay. in, uh, in the general sense. So you, I, I, as far as my memory you know, just my own record. It wasn't like living in uh, Milwaukee or something, right? It was basically, yeah. Was, I wouldn't know that one either, yeah. <laughs> I mean, now, this is my recollection from way back then, right? It could, it, quite frankly, maybe it was like, you know, parts of Conyers, right? Or something, but, but I mean, like, but it wasn't, it definitely wasn't your hustle bustle city. It wasn't Boston, it wasn't Atlanta, proper it was in boston, uh, I mean, going going and growing up in boston though was a very diverse city correct I yeah mean, yes boston okay. well uh certainly way more diverse than uh platteville so if my okay. like i mean the people in platteville that i remember and you know it obviously wouldn't have registered with me but uh i can think of there was another liberian family that was there uh and then there was a nigerian guy that my parents knew and I you know I could be wrong my mom might correct me on this but I think that was those were that was the extent of the black people that we had in that community when I, when I grew up so there you have it <laughs> I, I don't recall now I you know again I was fairly young but I don't recall an, an African-American person I just kind of gave you <laughs> that the community was a Nigerian guy and another African, <laughs> another Liberian family. 
<laughs> so not very diverse probably uh, not, not, not at all but i mean but I don't, nonetheless a very slow community that was calm and greetable and everybody yeah. stopped for everybody you know yeah yeah but and when and you moved into boston it was a whole different yeah whole different boston thing. yeah and boston was years later but it was yeah that was you know that's more you know kind of everything's moving all the time everything's moving all the time you you know so you're always going somewhere you go in somewhere you better be or you're gonna get run over if you're going too slow <laughs> so. I, drove, I, I drove around the uh the the highway that circles boston one time yep. and i thought i was gonna die <laughs> it's like the entire highway is above ground and so and like you have to exit and you exit and stop <laughs> It's yeah. like, oh my God. Yeah. Because I mean, I'm used to living in Georgia where our ramps are, you know, half a mile long. You got plenty of time to make a decision when you get off. And if you feel like it, you can. If not, just wait for the next one and turn around, you know? Yep. Yeah. And 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 now it's actually um most of the at least in the city, most of the highway in Boston now, and this kind of was at the time it was called the big dig when I was living there and then it's actually been completed probably one of the most expensive projects but now most of their highways are underground <laughs> so like through the city <laughs> so it's a That's whole crazy. different yeah <laughs> yeah and I, I want to lead in with that for example um when you said Boston how busy it is <laughs> that also uh implication as far as someone even thinking they have the ability to be a good Samaritan. What I mean by that is when you're in a place like Boston or New York, people say, okay, those places are fast paced. And yep. you come down to Georgia, oh, that's slow. Um, when you're fast paced, that also indicates that you're too busy. I mean, there, there's too many things to do. Even if you don't think you're busy, the person in front of you and behind you are going so fast that you're gonna be going just as fast to get things done. Does that program one's mind into thinking not only is life too fast, but there's no time to stop and see that there's need around me. Um, life is too fast, I'm too busy. How, how would I even be able to see that there is a need um, mm. or how I can affect anyone's life by helping like the Samaritan? Um, does that, did you notice anything like that going from a, so, a slow-paced um, place versus the fast pace? You mentioned a little bit when you came to Atlanta, people would stop and say hi. Does that have a psychological impact on one's ability to even um, have a Good Samaritan mindset? Um, it, it does in some way, but it, it also doesn't. And here's what I, I'll say. One of the things I've found, whether it's in, you know, coming from Africa to the U.S., whether it's Boston versus Atlanta, whether it's Liberia to Ghana, is one of the things I've found is um, people are generally people, right? So even in that fast-paced Boston, I had some great relationships with people. Um, you know, at one point I uh, visited an AME church in uh, the area I was living outside of Boston. And, um, you know, those folks treated me like family, right? And <laughs> they didn't really have to. And I'm still in touch with people from that church today, 
you know, one or two people. And I've had people who were, you know, extremely friendly. And then even, so this was in my college years, but then before college, I came, I went to a, a school in the Boston area at 15. So it was about 10th grade. And there was a church that we went to because it was right next to where my aunt lived. It was walking distance. So that was, you know, where I would go. And um, it, the congregation was all, yeah, about 99% white, right? And generally skewed um, older than I was. But they, you know, greeted me with open arms. And I've lost touch with some of them because I think, you know, they've sort of aged and some of them have moved away from that area. But uh, for years later, even when I, you know, came back to college, I could always drive there and, and go to that church and they'd remember me and they'd update me. And so I think even in the space of being, you know, in the fast paced environment, I think the true, the good Samaritans uh, always are there and always are willing to help. And people make time, you know, just like the story, right? It's, uh, you know, I, I think if my memory is right, you know, I think the priest kind of passed, the Levite passed, but that Samaritan, if my memory's right, I think um, they, that person, at least the way it was described, and you guys can correct me, that Samaritan was on his way to business, Right. It seemed like this was someone who had somewhere to be. And even when he kind of said to the innkeeper, take care of this person and here's some money and I'll come back and check on that person. It seemed like even with that person's busy schedule, they, he paused and helped. And so I think it's, you know, people are generally people and they'll help. If you're a good Samaritan, if you're a servant leader, you will find ways to serve and help people and be an inspiration and be a guide. Um, well, you, I, can, you can easily say that nobody traveled anywhere without having business to travel during that era of time. There was no need for them to travel anywhere. And so exactly. even the priest, even the priest and the Levite were on business going somewhere or to, you know, to it pertain to Jewish religious or a practice or something that they had to go take care of. So everybody was, they didn't travel unless they had business to travel. Yep. You know, it's not like us where we take vacations all the time and we're, we go to, you know, like Wednesday, I went to North Georgia just to spend three days in the mountains, you know, so they didn't really do that in that yep. era and time. They didn't have that concept. Every day was a vacation for most people in that time. And so they're, you know, they treated it as such as like, because it was just, a, it was a practice of life when they were going somewhere is when they were working, if that makes sense, you know, to the, in that mentality, they were only working when they had to go perform a duty or something to do, and then they would come back to their, their exactly. place of rest, their home yeah. or their yeah. or their household. So he was definitely, that Samaritan was definitely on way to do business of some sorts, because even the reference to the journey that he was on, now I'm, I'm in a passion translation, and so it simply just says he was on a journey. When I return yeah. from my journey, I'll take care of the rest of it. It doesn't really specify whether it was business or not in my my yeah. translation so okay. yeah but that so that that's kind of true and I, and I was just going to say even um there are some mentors that I met there's one in particular that I met in Boston that at any given point you know and this guy the one I'm thinking about actually there are multiple but the one I'm thinking of was a partner at a 
you know, major accounting firm, anytime I called him with all of his schedules, you know, if he wasn't out of the country, he would be available to pick up and would give me a time to chat. And now he's, you know, retired and I still reach out to him whenever I want to. And there's, you know, so he was a, he still made time because that's just kind of how he, how he lived his life. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like that because um, uh, being a good Samaritan is not necessarily finding someone who has health problems or someone who has been a victim, um, yeah. but it is seeing a need in front of us and having eyes open to the fact that we are placed here to help our fellow man. Um, one last question for you, Sam. So. Um, as we see that you're, you're yourself are in business and business, uh, as a businessman, the culture is we have to do what it takes, you know, to take care of that bottom line. How do you in business um, incorporate the Samaritan, the uh, good Samaritan, like in your, your model or in your work that you do? Yeah, so several different things just in terms of kind of my planning for my company um there's uh you know usually you think about okay there's the goals are going to be revenue you're going to have you know shrink your cost do all of those things but i also have um, a strategic component just called community where there has to be significant service um within the community and so you know, right now I'm kind of on two different, three different, uh, you know, non-compensation oriented boards. And it's just, that's a part, to me, I look at that as part of uh, Growth Excel and part of my work. You know, it's just, you have to give back. You have to find a way to make time for those causes. Um, and that's, that's to me just as, um, just as important as everything else. It's just as important as finding clients. I actually kind of joke around about, um, you know, it's sort of your crew or your team, your you know, clients uh, and your community. And, and my job is to kind of serve and grow um, in, the, in those, um, those, those constituents, right? you know, help them kind of achieve growth. Um, first myself, right? So I've got to invest in myself just to grow and improve and be better every day. And then it's about making that difference in the community um, as a as a strategic business objective for me. I, uh, All right. I remember, I remember, since we have a couple of more minutes left in here, do you mind if I jump yep, in with ahead. something? I was at um, Price for the Nations for a couple of years, which is... Uh, sort of a mission school over in Dallas, Texas. And I mm -hmm. served um, I served in the media and kind of different areas over there. Um, but mostly I was there as being educated you know, to be what they would declare a world changer. Yeah. And um, and kind of really unique, uh, one of the, one of the, they did something every day called the lecture time. And so every day at mm -hmm. noon or just before noon, I think it started like 11, 10, 11, 15. Everyone in the school would come into the main uh, institute building. We would all sit in the main institute building, and then they would do a lecture every day. And that lecture was typically someone in ministry, in business, or in culture that were kingdom people. They were, you know, somehow implementing Jesus in the everyday. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so we actually had a guest, and you may have heard of her before. Her name was Heidi Baker. I don't know if you've ever heard of Heidi Baker before. Mm -hmm. But Heidi Baker was a, a mission to Mozambique. Uh, she started a mission to Mozambique years and years ago. Yeah, and then, the name of the group. Um, started a mission where they would go into unreached people groups of Africa. Mozambique is where their main is, their main uh, main area was. Um, and they would go into unreached people groups, tribes and things like that. They would show the the Jesus movie, uh, which I think everybody um, is at some point heard of the Jesus movie. It's basically mm -hmm. like the story of the gospel in a, in a film that's usually can be translated to multiple different languages and they show it in there. They do it on a, a mobile projector and then they share the gospel and then people just get radically saved or, yeah, and they do baptisms and they do, they have crazy healing miracle things that have happened in Africa. It's really so cool. But she came in to teach and of all the things she could have teached on or taught on all of the things she could have taught on, she spent three days about talking to us, um, talking to us simply about stopping for the one. Mm. Um, and she emphasized over and over again how important stopping for the one that is in front of you, um, how imperative it was to have a mindset like a good Samaritan, like yep. Jesus, who was constantly going places, constantly moving from place to place to place, constantly going to somewhere and would be interrupted, if yep. you would, by a lady tugging on his uh, on his uh, robe or a man interrupting you know i need you to come and take care of my daughter or you know i mean it was consistently he was being interrupted but what you see every time and you even see a few times where the disciples were like oh he doesn't have time for you right now but yeah. jesus would always stop for the one and she really emphasized that stop for the one heart and I thought it would be really good for us to each kind of give our point of view, maybe just for a moment about that stop for the one, you know, awake and what we do with awake communities. Uh, we, that is our whole, that, that's everything. If one person walks in our door and walks up to the counter, comes into the business community, walks over into try to, to rent a space or get a mailbox, I'm stopping for that person and they're going to get all of my attention. I'm not just going to give them attention. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to practice just what I believe to be basic humility in making sure that their needs are met or I have an opportunity to share a, a story with them or, and, or in, in a lot of cases, pray, you know, meet a need of theirs in that mm -hmm. moment. If I can't meet a need, I can pray for someone to meet, meet that need or I can pray for them to have an encounter with the Lord to meet that need, you know, so I'm constantly waiting and pausing and looking for and when we train our staff and we train our interns we are constantly getting them uh, having to go back to that hey are you stopping for the one today you can make all the drinks you want you could you could sweep every corner of this place and it would do us no good if we don't stop for the one and so what do you guys what are your thoughts on that let's share maybe a couple of minutes before we end if you don't mind about that concept yeah, I mean it. It's it's funny you you said that because um, uh, I'm trying to remember where I came across this just either today or yesterday. But the you remember the concept of you know the the shepherd right who had a hundred sheep and ninety nine um, were safe, but he didn't have this one, and he basically went after that one. Absolutely, right? and um, I. 
you know, you kind of take that and that was, you know, Jesus talking about the one and how important the one was. And, you know, I think if a lot of times, maybe because we're all busy, I think people who are in the church of Christ followers sometimes forget to do that, right? Because that searching for that one is what Jesus would do, right? So when, you know, I've had some conversations uh, lately even about, um, you know, racial tension and all of that, right? And if you, I mean, God forbid, put bring Jesus in this and say, stop for the one, right? <laughs> Every church would be, <laughs> would be saying, hey, you know, there's one that's not safe right now. We got to go for, for that. But, you know, so that's, I think that's so important. And if we just live that, we wouldn't have, you know, this perception of Christians, right? Because, you know, like Gandhi, I think, I don't know if I said this here before, but Gandhi, there's a quote from Gandhi that, you know, I think is really true where, um, unfortunately true, where he said, I love your Christ, it's your Christians I don't like, and your Christians don't seem to know your Christ. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think that is such an amazing point to, um, close out on today because the thing I think that's most important is most people, we do not want to be interrupted. We have a list of things we need to do. We have time incorporated in when we want them done. And when we are interrupted, that like slows everything down. Interruptions aren't comfortable because you already have time and space allotted for, especially A-types like myself, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you already know what you're going to do, what time you're going to do it. You haven't, and you're, it, it's interesting. Our mind constantly kind of get rid of interruptions so that we can accomplish the tasks ahead of us. But it's these interruptions where we're actually allowed to be interrupted by that one, give our complete focus and attention. And that's the only way we're actually going to be able to impact lies the way we're supposed to. We don't realize that, okay, that long list of things you got going, if you drop dead right now, How much it's gonna get gonna done matter? some kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's gonna matter in the right. list you got going on there? How much of that is a futile, futility exactly. in operation? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> what's important is this human being, child of God, created by God right in front of you that needs your attention. And I kid you not, um, that's one thing I've incorporated in my business. And I get more business out of focusing on that one than time and effort I put in marketing for trying to get the target um, client that I want. It's, it never fails. Um, even if it's not that one I'm helping, that one knows someone else. So I think it, it benefits everyone around if we stop trying to get rid of interruptions and know that interruptions really are what help us grow as yeah. individuals and help us grow um, spiritually to really understanding you know, how God operates. You know, he, He's not offended by us. Uh, we call it interruption and he calls it spending time uh, doing what we're really meant to do and really meant to be.
Absolutely. And I remember the name of that. I looked it up right quick while you were, while you guys were talking, but it's Iris Global Ministries. Um, mm-hmm. ah. That's her, that's the ministry out of Mozambique. If you ever get a chance to check them out, Heidi, her, the way she shares is so childlike. It's unbelievable. I watched her one time come and sit, you know, she, when she would leave the IB building, it would take her an hour and a half to go from the IB just across the street to her luncheon. And they would have to set a time because she's going to stop for every person that stops her. She's going to speak to them. She's going to pray for them. I watched her and, and believe or not believe, I watched her lay hands on people across the street and they, just a, a rail of bodies laying everywhere. Just people would just, they would be so encountered with the love of Christ in this woman, they would just fall out. And that not necessarily fall out in the spirit, but they would just have an overwhelming encounter with Jesus through her because of her stop for the one, you know, mentality. This wow. is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And she's so childlike. I watched her sit on the platform for an hour and a half one time and just weep and sing on her knees in front of 15, you know, close to 15, 2000 students in front of a room, you know, and just so just have crazy encounters. But that stopped for the one mentality, because I think it's the same that Jesus would do for us. When he encountered us, he stopped for us. You know, I know he stopped for me and my wife on the day that we gave our heart to him and we we, we found him. I I very much think we found him more than he found us. I don't think he ever lost us. So, um, but when, when we finally engaged him and he stopped for us, I mean, that changes everything, your point of view and everything. I can't imagine. I wish we could hear more of Jesus's story of this, what happened to the guy who was beaten, you know, and robbed. What happened after that? How did his life change from that encounter with the Good Samaritan? What, what are the possibilities uh, of mm-hmm. this man, you know, being engaged with this Samaritan now who, uh, if I'm correct, uh, he was already a Jewish man and a Samaritan wasn't even supposed to touch him. He yeah. wasn't even supposed to be around a Samaritan and this guy stopped for him. How did that change his whole concept of Samaritans when he saw his own priest walk by and his own Levite walk by and yet a Samaritan who is total disagreement, doesn't even believe and doesn't have the same lifestyle, literally stopped to help him and he's not even supposed to be in, in anywhere near and around him. Yeah, that would just exactly. that would wreck. That would totally wreck me. That would wreck me. And yeah. you know, Jesus didn't have to stop for me, and yet He encountered me and my wife on that day. And I mean, changed everything for the way that I thought about things. So I can only imagine what this changed in that Jewish in that Jewish man's life. Yeah, yeah. And I think that you you actually brought in the diversity part of the Good Samaritan. Um, it it was it wasn't by mistake. It's put there to show us that if you're just helping someone because they're your family, they look like you, they think like you, okay, everybody does that. But showing the love of God is going beyond what you're comfortable with, going beyond um, someone that might look like you, think like you, act like you, or be in your financial um, same status as you. So I think that's another amazing thing that this story really is telling us we have to go outside of what we actually know and the things we do to reach out to someone who's different yeah yeah wonderful great yeah yes i think that's amazing and i think if we all took 
the uh, model in business or even in work or employment or everyday lives to incorporate the mindset of the Good Samaritan, um, our society, our community would be much better off. So thank you so much, Sam, for um, sharing with us today. Mm -hmm.